A reading from Matthew 12, verses 1 through 21. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Hannah. Good morning, everybody. As a reminder, if you come or to kind of catch you up, if you don't, we are going through the book of Matthew here, but we are not doing it in a straight line. We're not doing it chronologically. Uh, we're for the first time for a series going through the lectionary, which follows the church calendar and breaks up the book according to different parts of the church calendar. So we are in the seven-week period coming out of Easter where we reflect on the risen, resurrected Christ. And so this big, long passage uh, is the third reading in Easter season. And so um, it, it has a lot in it, as you can see from that. And there's like a lot of different directions we could go. Um, I, I want to take us what I think is kind of the heart of what's happening, where Matthew's taking us. And that will also be an opportunity to kind of get ourselves ready and prepared for the receiving of the gift of the Lord's Supper. So if you're joining us virtually, make sure you've got your elements. So, so here, here's what I'd like to do. There's, there for sure is important and concrete meaning for us. This is one of those passages where Matthew also, it's a real life kind of conflict that's happening. This is a big part of the story. God enters the flesh in the person of Jesus into the Jewish community who for a thousand plus years have been following Yahweh God and they had been awaiting this promised Messiah. Jesus says that is him, but there's all kind of conflict around that. So 
uh, we're going to try to really pay attention to what's happening there and then from that draw out what is the deep meaning for us. So I'm almost going to invite you. It's almost like jumping into a time machine here, right? We're going to try to really use our imagination, not not just like gloss over it. So let's like, let, let's like really hear what's happening in this dispute between Jesus and the Pharisees. Let's really hear what Jesus is saying to them, inviting them into. And let's use that as a way to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. So uh, you can go ahead and keep the passage up. We're going to especially focus in on these first eight or so verses to try to get a sense of the clash, the dispute that's happening. So as backdrop to this, what, what really helps make sense. So you've got these Pharisees or the teachers of the law. They're often talked about um, kind of being present at the same time. So the Jewish people took the Hebrew scripture so seriously, right? We would now call that the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture leading up to the life of Jesus. They took the Hebrew scripture so seriously. It was, it was a very sacred entrustment from God to them to help them understand what God was like. And so these Pharisees, these teachers of law were tasked with being as clear to the Holy Scriptures as they could and helping people understand what it meant to live with God, with Yahweh, the given name uh, for the Jewish people, what it meant to live with God, life with God, to honor God. So that's their task. They take that very seriously. So when Jesus comes as the fulfillment of all that, he is not only God in the flesh, but he also repeatedly is saying, I am the ultimate authority on the Hebrew Scriptures. I am the one who will help you see what it was all pointing towards. And earlier in the book, you maybe see there's some legitimately open kind of dialogue and debate even. But by the time we're getting here in Matthew 12, we're starting to see that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law feel very, very threatened by Jesus. Right? They don't like how he interprets Scripture. They don't like how he talks about it. They don't like the God-like stance that he takes on this. So it's starting to get... Um, really uncomfortable. And so here's, there's a dispute. This whole thing's over dispute about the Hebrew scriptures ultimately. And it might seem trivial at first, but it's not. The dispute is over the Sabbath. We say that word Sabbath. All right. That's, that's front and center to this dispute. Now for a lot of us who follow Jesus today, we do not take the Sabbath as seriously as we should. Um, but in the Hebrew times, I mean, the Sabbath is actually one of the 10 commandments. I mean, that's kind of a big deal, right? Like to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Anybody want to show off memorizing the Ten Commandments when you were little? Anybody remember which of the Ten Commandments it is? I didn't know, so if you get it, you'll be better than me. Anybody know which which of the Ten honor the Sabbath is? Like little murmurs. Is that like a half guess? It's a, yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll just say you got it right. It's the fourth one. Uh, not that there's anything significant. Although actually, it's maybe in its own right, it is the first three are all about the centrality of God, right? You'll have no other gods before me. You'll have no other idols. You'll not take the Lord's name in vain. So the very first commandment, after all the things about honoring the name of God, is to keep the Sabbath holy. So this is one of the most distinctive characteristics of devout Judaism is to take the Sabbath holy. And um, the commandment says one of the things it gives as a, as a means to keep the Sabbath holy is that you're not to work on the Sabbath. Right? So the intention of this comes out of the creation story. Right? God works for six days, creating you know, all of what we see. Um, and then it says that God rested from that work, not only to rest, but to look and say, it is good to renew, to refresh. And God says, I want you to follow in the same pattern of the Sabbath to work six days, take one day off. So that's what this dispute is. Um, as you can see in the way that the whole story starts, um, uh, Jesus and the disciples are going through grain fields on the Sabbath. The disciples are hungry. They pick some grain. They eat that. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law say, ah, gotcha. Um, we're going to classify that, what the disciples just did, picking grain, as work. 
we're going to say like, you know, because probably 60, 70% of all workers were, were involved in, in the harvesting of different kinds of things. So for many people, this would have been a work kind of a thing. So, so I mean, we can say it's, it seems like a real stretch. But th- this is their accusation that the disciples worked on the Sabbath and that Jesus, by not condemning them, is fulfilling their accusation that he doesn't take the Hebrew scriptures very seriously. Okay, so that's, that's like the conflict is um, the disciples picking grains on Sabbath and therefore working and breaking the four commandments, uh, the, the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, this is where it gets a little bit technical. I actually think very interesting, but we would need a lot of time and a lot of energy to get into each of these, um, which for Bible nerds, we'd have fun doing that. But what Jesus does in these next few verses, Jesus actually uses three different passages from the Hebrew Scriptures um, to make his larger point that not only are they working, but that that, that are not working, but the Pharisees are missing a larger point. So we won't go into these any more than just kind of naming them. You see them unfold in three straight. But Jesus first takes a passage from when David is fleeing from Saul and is fed within that. And so Jesus is kind of making one point from that story of David fleeing from Saul. Jesus goes into kind of this, this very important temple system that was present in Old Testament times and how it is that the priests um, utilize sacrifices within that. So he's making kind of a second point um, about that. Benjamin kind of referred to this in prayer and praise. Then he, makes this, he takes this third passage from Hosea uh, about how God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Also really interesting and fascinating, important kind of passage. Each of those three would be interesting to kind of go a deeper dive on. What we're going to do for today, just to kind of keep moving, is look at the larger purpose of what Jesus is doing with that. The larger purpose of what Jesus is doing that is saying, not only do I not, like, you're saying I don't care about the Hebrew Scriptures, not only do I care about the Hebrew Scriptures, but I know them a thousand times better than you do, right? Um, And more important, it's not a contest of knowledge. It's about saying, like, what is the Scripture ultimately pointing us to? Right, because Scripture is not ultimately God. Scripture is pointing us to God, right? The point of Scripture is that we can see God more clearly. So Jesus Jesus demonstrates his expertise um, in the Old Testament Scriptures, refutes their claims that he doesn't care about the seriousness of Scripture, uses these three different passages from the Old Testament, okay? And that leads to, it's just like one-two punch that Jesus gives, and maybe that's the wrong imagery because it makes it sound more war- warful, but uh, uh, it, it's... It, I, this is where now we can kind of like start to turn it and we're going to hear it for ourselves in this too. I just, I think, I, I hope we can kind of like let our imagination come in and like hear the weight of both of these. All right, the first one's pretty cool in its own set, but it's the second part especially that's like, wow, crazy. Two defining claims Jesus makes. So let's go, if you'll come, uh, if you'll take, t- take us to verse seven, Ken, thank you. Verse seven gets to the first big claim. So not only is Jesus kind of refuting uh you know, their claim that he doesn't take scripture seriously, but then it's kind of cool what he says. So verse seven, this is the third of the three that he's talking about. He says, if you knew what these words mean, and he's quoting from Isaiah, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus says, you would not have condemned the innocent. That's strong language, but you know what he's actually talking about when he says you would not have condemned the innocent? He's actually talking about the disciples in this case, um, which is kind of a cool moment for the disciples because when you read through the gospels, it just seems over and over again, the disciples are always on the wrong end of stuff, Right? In three quarters of the time, it's Peter. I mean, P- Peter, like, just seems to always be saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, moving at the wrong pace. But often even the other disciples, like, it's often highlighted by the writers themselves. They were there. Matthew was there for this, right? Um, many times what's highlighted is that Jesus says something profound. The disciples are like, yeah, we didn't understand that at all. 
Um, and that's like kind of one of the things. This is one of the cases where the disciples are being attacked by the Pharisees and Jesus full-fledged comes to their defense. Um, what Jesus basically is saying to them, to the Pharisees on behalf of the disciples, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, look, you're completely missing the point. For one, to classify that as work is just dumb, right? Jesus probably doesn't use the word dumb. He uses nice words. But Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, to, say, to, to make the claim that the disciples eating grain on the Sabbath is somehow breaking the fourth commandment is ridiculous. More so, you're missing the point. The point of the Sabbath is to be renewed to be restored, to be refreshed on this seventh day. With the disciples that they are innocent in this, they are allowed to eat on the Sabbath, right? They are allowed to partake of this and to use this. There's this whole system about the edges of the fields that were allowed to be consumed by the public to make sure the poor had access. It was complete within their rights to pick these grains and to eat these. Jesus is saying, not only is this not working, you're completely missing the point of the Sabbath. So bottom line, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, as one Bible expert to another, you guys are focusing on the wrong thing, right? You're trying to make this a case of the letter of the law that they are working on the Sabbath. Not only is this not working on the Sabbath, you're missing the heart of it. The Sabbath is for rest, restoration, for renewal, for rest. The disciples are totally in the clear here, okay? So that's what he's saying. As a Bible expert to the other Bible experts, he's saying, you're just wrong on this one. You're wrong. I, not judging intent right now, maybe, but... You, you, you're drawing out the wrong thing. That's the first kind of big claim. But it's what he says next that, that puts this whole thing in motion. I mean, you can see the words in verse 8, but I want you to just picture how thunderstruck everybody hearing this would have been. It's almost like Jesus is doing here. So, so first he's saying, all right, as a Bible expert, I'm telling you, you as Bible experts are going to this wrong. He said, let's go back even further than that. Let's make this, let's take this to a whole different level. Let's talk about where it is that the Sabbath began. Where did the Sabbath come from? I'm not t- talking like I'm Jesus right now. This is how I imagine him saying. He said, he said, you know, you're, you're experts of the law, right? So you teach people where Sabbath comes from. You remember where it is, right? It's on page one. It's on page one. The triune God who creates everything, the heavens and the earth, the, the creatures of the sea, the creatures of the land, the vegetations, human beings. The triune God who creates all of that works for six days, and then that's where we say Sabbath for the first time, right? That is where the idea of the Sabbath is designed. So Jesus is basically saying here right now is like, I'm not just a Bible expert telling you about where Sabbath came from when it's described on page one of your Hebrew and Holy Scriptures. I was there for it. I was part of that triune God that brought the heavens and the earth into being. In fact, when it says, and the Lord spoke, that's, you know, most theologians say that's the, that's the role of Jesus in that, that, that as John once said, Jesus was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. He's saying, I was the part of that triune God that was bringing all this into creation. I'm the triune God, part of the triune God who implemented and instituted the Sabbath in the first place. I am, here's, his, here's the simple but profound thunderstriking way he says it. He says, I am not just an expert of the law teaching about the Sabbath. I am what? I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am over the whole thing. I'm not just a Bible teacher telling you what it is. I am the one who is Lord over it. It was created by me. It points to me. This whole notion of rest and renewal and transformation that the Sabbath is designed for, I'm Lord over all that. I am Lord over the Sabbath. Now, I wanted to spend a little bit on the technical where they're going back and forth in this, but you see at the end of the day, now all of a sudden the technical debate has really no meaning, right? Because Jesus is saying, 
I'm not just debating you as a fellow expert of the law. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I am the, I'm, I'm the one who created the whole thing. I'm the one who's Lord over the whole thing. The whole thing is about me. The creator of the Sabbath that you say you care so deeply about is standing right here in front of you in the flesh. The Lord of the Sabbath, the one you claim you're protecting the Sabbath, here's the great news for you. you care about Sabbath, the one who created it is standing right in front of you. The one who is Lord over it is standing right in front of you. The one who insti- instigates and, 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 and sends out the Spirit to help transform and renew and restore, I'm standing right here. All right, so Matthew wants us to see this with such clarity that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, whatever their motives might have been up to this point, whatever confusion they might have had up to this point, there's no more confusion anymore as to who Jesus says he is. When Jesus says he is Lord of the Sabbath, he's the one who created it and is over it and is the one who is behind the whole transformation effort, transformational effort of the, of the Sabbath. I mean, they see it clearly. And this is what, just for time's sake, I'm not going to spend a whole lot. The whole next section is with this man with the withered hand in the temple. Um, I, I'll just say this. This is what's just really insidious about the way this story unfolds is one of the things Matthew is showing us here and the other gospel writers do too, but let's just use this. Matthew is showing us the problem is not that the Pharisees didn't see Jesus. They actually saw him pretty clearly. And what happens in this next part is really insidious. They, they lost round one of trying to say that he's not taking the Sabbath seriously. So they head over to the synagogue because it's Sabbath and they know Jesus is going to make his way over there at some point. And they know that there's a regular who they're hoping is there, and he's there, a man who's got a physical disability and who has carried that with him spiritually, psychologically, physically his whole life. And you know what? The Pharisees know exactly what's going to happen when Jesus sees that man, don't they? They know how he's going to feel. How is Jesus going to feel when he sees that man with the physical disability? Have compassion. You can have mercy. He just said it here. It's mercy, right? Mercy is the central thing. They know exactly how Jesus is going to feel when he sees this man. They know exactly what Jesus is going to do when they see him, don't they? And Jesus does do exactly what they think he's going to do. He's going to heal this man. And somehow, can you, can you believe there was a day where religion was used in such a way to wound people, to set people up as props for a pursuit of power and status? Can you believe that that ever existed, that religion was ever used that way, that the name of Jesus was profaned in the hopes of protecting the religious establishment? I know it's very, very difficult to imagine. Someday that could happen again. But this is, this, is, this, is, this is a big part of what Matthew is trying to show us, that um, it's not lack of access, it's not lack of information, it's not lack of clarity. I mean, Jesus just couldn't have said it any more clearly. The, their whole starting point is pretending they're protectors of the Sabbath. Jesus says, if you really care about the Sabbath, here's the great news. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Right? It was such an incredible opportunity to fall down prostrate and say, wow. I mean, right, when you hear something like that, either, well, this is, this is the truth. You can either worship him or kill him. Those are really the only two choices, right? And we see from this text, they choose the second. They choose to not only not worship him, but everything goes into full motion now to kill him. So Matthew does want us to see that, and it would be a little bit sad if that's where the story ended, but that's where this third and final vignette is really important. Um, Matthew kind of goes into this last part in verse 15 through 21. And so actually, if you don't mind, Ken, go over to 15, just, just to make kind of a quick note of where Matthew turns. So there's the rejection from the Pharisees. But Matthew wants us to see that's not the full story. A large crowd did see Jesus and did understand who he was. They understood what it meant 
to some degree, to come into the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath. And they came fully expectant, fully hopeful. Large crowds came. They were healed. They experienced the beauty, the power of the Lord of the Sabbath. And then here's where Matthew ends. Again, it's, it's, it's a long passage, I realize. We covered a lot of ground, but hopefully, hopefully it's all kind of tying together. So here's what Matthew does for this last bit. I, I think this is really cool that Matthew does this. Here's how Matthew ends. Rather than even, so he's going to give commentary, but he doesn't give his own personal commentary. Remember, he's one of the disciples there. He's one of the ones who picked the grains and ate it. He watches this dispute between Jesus and the Pharisees. He hears Jesus declare himself as Lord of the Sabbath. He's watching these people after the Pharisees reject him, the people still coming, being healed. So Matthew's going to add commentary, but he doesn't use his own words for this. What Matthew does is pull a passage straight from Isaiah, chapter 42, and says, Here's how I see Jesus so clearly right now. Here's how I understand Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath right now. doesn't use any of his own words. Instead, draws it straight from Isaiah 42, a passage that was very famous. If you go to the next slide, starting with verse 18, Ken. So this is straight from Isaiah 42. And this is Matthew's post-commentary post on the whole thing. He says, here's who Jesus is. In the words of Isaiah, this is my servant, God speaking. Here's my servant whom I've chosen. The one who I love. The one whom I delight, I'll remember where this is from, right? This comes out in the baptism of Jesus. I will put my spirit on him. God's saying, I'll put my spirit on Jesus. And Jesus will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. And then Matthew, interestingly, I mean, you almost, you almost can picture Matthew looking at this man with the withered hand who had just been, you know, in all that he carried. And Matthew adds this, a bruised reed Jesus will not break. A smoldering wick Jesus will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Now that's a cool way to end this crazy interaction, isn't it? This is, this is I mean, this is, this is stuff we should be doing too. As we encounter God in deeper and deeper ways, we kind of sit in those moments, we reflect, we, 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 we try to make spiritual sense of what we've experienced. And I, here's what I think Matthew is doing. I think Matthew is saying, we see God revealed in Jesus and what God is like. And one of the things we see is that this is the God who's not just being revealed right now. This is the God we've always had. This is the God we've always had, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God who when God comes up to those who are at the very edge will do so with great care and comfort, a God who is defined by love, by delight, who speaks that over us. You know, Benjamin said today, let's flip the frame and let's not come to church just to gaze at God. Let's allow God to gaze at us. This is what God says when God gazes at us. The one whom I love, the one whom I delight. Matthew is saying, this is the God we've always had. This is the God revealed to us in Jesus. This is the God we will always have. And so I think what a great way to kind of center ourselves for the receiving of the gift of the Lord's Supper, to just kind of sit in these words of Isaiah 42, right? Words spoken hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years ago about who God is. These, these were, I think Matthew's reminding us that even as the Pharisees and teachers of the law rejected Jesus, this is the God that they had always known of, this, this God. So when you think of, I mean, this isn't really a sermon on Sabbath, that's its own whole sermon, but if we remember that Jesus declares himself as Lord of the Sabbath, and you kind of say, what does that mean for me to come receive the gift of the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath as we get ready to receive this gift? What, is, what does that look like to come into the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath?
There's a lot of ways to think about it. Let's think about it through Matthew's eyes. Let's think about it through the eyes of Isaiah. Isaiah says, here's who Jesus is. The one whom God loves, the one who God delights. When you receive the gift of Jesus, Jesus pulls us into that same gift. Right? So when you encounter the Lord of the Sabbath, Isaiah reminds us, Matthew reminds us, Jesus reminds us that when you encounter the gift of the Lord of the Sabbath, you are reminded that you are loved. You are reminded that you are delighted in. That Jesus says, I have gone to prepare a home for you. I've gone to make this ready for you. That Jesus pulls us in. The Lord of the Sabbath pulls us in. Going all the way back to the original Sabbath language. On the seventh day, God looks around and says, this is good. So those are such simple words and yet such profound words to really believe that God looks at you and says, you're good. Yeah, you've done some stuff to make a mess of things. That's true, too. But you're good. You're loved. You're delighted in. Even when you make a mess of things, I'm trying to pull you back in again. Right? Matthew reminds us of that. Isaiah reminds us of that. Jesus reminds us of that. That Jesus is a God. God is in Jesus proclaiming justice. That when we come into the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath, we are in the presence of the one who makes wrong things right who makes crooked things straight, who cares deeply about inequality, exclusion, things that bring harm. And then in an even more personal way, that verse 20, Isaiah reminds us, Matthew reminds us, Jesus reminds us, a bruised reed Jesus will never break. A smoldering wick Jesus will never snuff out. I think we all come to the gift of the Lord's table in different places. Some of us come feeling strong in the spirit and we're celebrating and remembering that. And that's good when we're that. Some of us come with this sense of hopefulness and expectancy when we come, and that's good. Some of us come kind of like a bruised reed that feels it's like right on the edge of breaking. Can you picture the imagery so rich, a smoldering wick, right? You can see the human version of that, right? Where like the fire is just almost out. I mean, what a gift to remember that if you enter into the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath and it feels like the fire's almost out, you don't have to worry that he's going to be the one to put it out. Instead, he will, you know, when the fire's out, you kind of put your hands around it and gently blow on it, try to get that smoldering flame to kind of come back to life again. That's what happens when we come in the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what Isaiah told us. That's what Matthew tells us. That's what Jesus says. And so... Though the religious people had their own agenda and rejected him, Matthew wants us to see a whole bunch of other people trusted that he was who Isaiah said he was. Matthew says, this is who I trust he is, that you can come to the Lord of the Sabbath and be healed, be made whole, be made new, that that flickering flame can be trusted in the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath. So let us ready ourselves to come receive the gift from the Lord of the Sabbath who gave us this sacrament, gave us these elements of the cup and the bread to remind us of who he is. And so maybe I'll lead us in a prayer, just a couple of procedural things as we get ready for this. We will have elders prayer during this. If you would like prayer during this time, um, we're going to do kind of first baby steps since COVID. We're going to have live people up here to hand you the elements when you come up. So it's still the bread. We thank Christine. We've had diff different members bringing the bread each time. Christine Chang brought this today. So somebody will 
hand you the bread when you come, so nobody's touching anything, so we're still, we're still COVID safe on this, but um, communion is meant to be done in community. It's really powerful when you're receiving it from other members of the body. So somebody will hand you that bread and say, this is the body of Christ, broken for you. They'll hand you a little cup and say, this is the blood of Christ, shed for you. And um, then we'll come back to our seats and we'll do a confessional and, that, and, we'll, and we'll receive it together. So let me pray for us. And after that, if you'll come receive the elements from those that will distribute them, reminding ourselves together of the invitation to come into the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath. Join me in prayer, if you will. Oh God, we enter into this passage together. Uh, this kind of long, substantial passage, and yet at the heart of it, I think we can all kind of feel inside of our spirit the magnitude of what you're saying. When you say, you're not just reminding us of the power of the Sabbath, you're telling us you are the Lord of the Sabbath. That when we, in small moments like this in Sabbath, and when we take a day off of work and allow ourselves to be rest renewed, that nowhere does that happen better and in a more holistic way than when we're in your presence. You are the Lord of the Sabbath. You invite us into your presence to remind us we're loved, that we're forgiven, that we're delighted in. You especially invite us in a tender way when we feel like the flame is going out, when we're in a fragile place where it feels like the harshness of life is on the verge of breaking us. You especially invite us into your presence in that point to be renewed in you. Think of those final words in Isaiah 42, that all the nations will place their hope in you. That when we come into the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath, our hope is strengthened. Our hope is fanned into flame. So we enter into the space in all different places. I just simply would ask that each one of us would locate ourselves and that we would come with a sense of joyful expectancy into your presence through this gift of communion. So now as we receive these elements, may the words of those who are distributing them remind us of the power of the flesh that was broken by the Lord of the Sabbath, by the blood that was spilled by the Lord of the Sabbath. As we hold these elements in our hand, may they be tactile physical reminders of your presence among us. In your name we pray. Amen. Come receive the elements as you're ready.
if you would all stand with me if you're able. We will first read a corporate confession together. This is just part of kind of the cleansing process of bringing ourselves fully to God before we receive the gift. So if you would just read it along with me, uh, the confession, please. God of love and mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We confess that, like the Pharisees of your time, we often fail to see you for all the beautiful majesty of who you are. And at an even deeper level, we confess that sometimes we actually do see you for who you are, and yet we nonetheless choose to reject you. Jesus, we remember together that you are Lord of the Sabbath. We remember that you are the one who calls us to yourself, the one that brings us deep into the presence of God. You remind us of who we are. You remind us of who we belong to. As we partake of the gift of your mercy and love, we pray that you will take us deep into the Sabbath rest of your goodness and grace. Amen. Now let's begin with the bread. I will read you the institution of Jesus, the words of Jesus says, While they were eating, this is Jesus and the disciples in the upper room, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, as we have just done, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Let's receive it together. Prepare the cup. Then Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us receive the gift. Mm. Now, as we sing together one last time, let us remember the joy of coming to the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath the one who sees, who loves, who renews, and makes us whole. As we're in this sweetness of spirit together, if you're not already standing and would like to, if you'd like to position yourself for the benediction in whatever way you'd like, maybe putting out hands, I think what strikes me so much about this passage is that Matthew witnessed Jesus' declaration that he's Lord of the Sabbath. And to put words on it, he jumped over to Isaiah 42 and carried this with an image. So let's just, let's just, this is not the whole of what it is that Jesus is Sabbath, but it sure is a great place to start. When Matthew thought of what it meant that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, that we can come into his presence, Matthew says from the words of Isaiah, a bruised reed Jesus will not break that even in the most fragile of states, we can trust ourselves in the trust and care of the Lord of the Sabbath. Even in the most fragile. You might not be in the fragile, most fragile, but you will be at some point. And that actually is where our li the lies will push us further from Jesus. But Matthew reminds us, that's when you most badly need to be in the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath. A bruised reed he will not break. 
a smoldering wick, Jesus will never snuff out. I love that image. Not only you don't have to worry about the light going out in the presence of Jesus, but he'll fan it back into flame. Fan the flames of hope. Fan the flames of knowing who God is, knowing who you are, and trusting that there's a better tomorrow. So let us remember, this is who the Lord of the Sabbath is. This is the one who gives us the sacraments of bread and cup to be reminded of who he is and what he wants to do for us. Let us remember that this is what's true of him and true of us, that will only be truly restored in his presence. Live with that gift today, I pray. God's people said, amen.